0: And we're going to talk about the relationship of the kingdom of God the rest with the rest of the world as well as the relationship with each other. And we'll often do this by looking at what's happened in the news and there's always so much that's happened in the news. I've had a little bit of a hiatus from uh the uh, regular programming that we've been doing because we had a festival here in uh, Summer Lake. And yesterday I went to town, and the difference between what goes on in Summer Lake out here in the high deserts of Oregon and what goes on in the cities is quite a bit different. The spirit that is there is different than the spirit that is here. And not that the spirit that is out here in the desert is that much uh, closer to perfection, but it's certainly not that that as close to the spirit of control and evil that i saw in uh in the local town which is actually rather a small town i mean it didn't suffer the riots they had some demonstrators that were bust in but they didn't have the riots that you see in the bigger cities and the looting and the burning and and chaos that you see in those cities but you see evidence of it it's it's the tracks are not as deep but they're there and, uh, there's a certain mindlessness that, uh, comes about over the people where they just can't see reality as clearly as you can out in the desert. Well, the desert's been filled with smoke lately because we've had a fire. And evidently, the, the fires here in, uh, in Little Summer Lake Basin and along the rim of the mountains that we are surrounded by, has gotten all over the world. Uh, we're getting feedback from other countries that they're just watching what's happening here and so worried about what's happening here. And there's actually a certain amount of worry that's uh, come over some of the people. We get calls uh, late at night and early in the morning because uh, they send out these alerts that were under this evacuation order or that evacuation order. And they actually they will make these uh, dial-up calls with uh recordings to uh, ladies old ladies living alone who really don't understand some of them are suffering from a little bit of dementia and uh, it's very confusing and frightening that suddenly they're told that they're under an evacuation order and they don't know evacuation one two or three what they mean and there's no explanation or not a clear one and they they set these people into panic and the reality is is the guy who was drawing the circles of where the evacuation's orders were coming from or not even from the state. They They're completely unfamiliar with the terrain. They don't know the people here. And they did not rely on the local people for a lot of the information that they needed. And so they caused a great deal of panic. This fire was serious like many other fires that have gone before it. And, uh, it did do a lot of damage to, uh, uh, forests and rangeland. There's a lot of graze that was burned up. That means cattlemen have to find someplace else to get the feed for their cattle or for their livestock. And, uh, it's caused a great deal of economic hardship for some of them. They spent days and days, weeks now, fighting the fire. Uh, fortunately, we have a lot of things going on out here in this uh, remote area of uh, Oregon and uh, of the United States itself that is different than what you see in a lot of other areas. You do see evidence of it. There was another county up north that was threatened with a great deal of fire, and uh, that got into the news just simply because of the the magnitude of it, and uh, and they got some good photo ops. So it actually the story got out uh, of. Uh, young woman uh, driving bulldozer and fighting the flames and it was all local citizens who got together to fight the fire and they simply said well the state wasn't sending any help the state wasn't doing anything for us so we just decided to do it for ourselves and they did an excellent job stopping the fire and protecting uh, millions upon millions of dollars worth of timber and uh, they're probably still at it because a lot of times even though you're mopping up they had a lot of rain so they probably are Are fairly safe status right now over there on Western Oregon. But over here on the Eastern side, we didn't get as much rain. There was a little rain up in Bend, uh, which is a hundred miles away, which is where we often go to shop because we're so, there is no nearby towns with, with any significant stores or banks or, or any of those things that people think are so important. But, uh, out here we didn't have as much, but they've knocked down the fire. Thanks, a great deal. Well, I will have to give God some credit because we did have some changes in the weather, cooler temperatures, more dew, and that always reduces the fire. But uh, we have uh, a uh, volunteer fire department. It's huge. It's, it's literally an army of people for the numbers of people that we have out here. And they have mostly, uh, old, uh, military equipment, not super old, you know, Humvees and, and, uh, big, uh, track, uh, well, trucks with multiple, you know, they can just put it in super low and they can drive over logs and what have you. And they carry tankers and it's all local people who volunteer. Uh, they, they needed some money to get going. So the people donated to get it going, but it's one of the larger, Rural fire departments in, uh, in the state and even in the United States. It's one of the only ones who have contracts now with several branches of government, uh, fish and wildlife, uh, BLM, uh, you know, state forestry, and and now even the first one I think ever with the federal forestry. Uh, They're, have the insurance. That's usually how they used to stop us from helping with a fire. Oh, but if you get hurt, then, You could sue us because we let you onto the fire. So they kept us from the fires, and the fires got out of control time and time again. And uh, I knew one of the grandfathers of the president of the RFPA uh, here in uh, Summer Lake. And uh, I remember back years ago, there was a fire raging across the mountains, and he drove a cat straight up the side of the mountain, a really big cat, that he brought out from his logging operation with his own money. And, and he just drove it straight up the mountain. Crazy. I would be terrified to do such a thing. And I've done some pretty crazy things myself in my youth. But he was uh, fearless. And a lot of that passes down to his family. But they don't always, everybody in his family hasn't always used that fearlessness to make the best decisions. But in the case of the RPA now, uh, they, they really came to bat for the locals and to fight the fire, and they had to occasionally go toe-to-toe with the federal government officers. And actually, there was one incident. I don't have all the details. I've heard more than most, uh, but they actually, uh there was a point there where the, sh- the sheriff was about to arrest the federal uh, employees uh high up in their echelon of control of the fire because of mismanagement and uh, threatening the uh, the well-being of a lot of the citizens and the equipment of the RFBA by starting fires without notifying anybody and that was that one of the big problems is that as the the federal people fighting the fire were not communicating they're not used to having such strong citizen uh, involvement in fighting a fire. They're used to just telling everybody, get back and we will control everything. And they're just, so they weren't ready with information. They didn't tell people what was going on. And they actually, at times because of this irresponsibility or, or lack of responsibility, they uh, endangered uh, equipment and firemen. And I've seen this over the years. I worked for the Forest Service for both state and federal in the past, I've also, you know, been in law enforcement. I, I understand a lot of these different things. But we want to talk about the kingdom, and of course there are certain things that we call kingdom tracks. And I find some of the rhetoric on both the left and right of politics today, and we're going to get into explaining what politics is like in the kingdom, because it's decidedly different than the politics in the world. And those decidedly different factors come from the spirit that is moving the individuals. You do not want to be moved. There was a lot of apologies after all these uh confrontations, these toe-to-toe confrontations where emotions were getting out of hand. And uh men and women should have emotions, but their emotions should never have them. They should be in control. And when I say they... I mean, them and the Holy Spirit should be in control of their actions. And that is not always the case. Sometimes the emotions take us out of that control. So we're going to be talking about things that may help you see those uh, trigger points when you're getting out of control, where your your mind and your emotions and your thinking is getting out of control and being dragged in the wrong direction. Remember, repentance is a changing of the mind, a changing of the way you think. Well, evil does not want you to repent. It wants you to go the opposite way that you really should be going. And it will tempt you with emotions and uh, fallacies, that's false logic, to go in the wrong way. So we're going to talk about that. But talking about it is not enough. You have to turn it into action. That's why Jesus used so many action words like seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why use action words like repent because repenting is not being sorry for what you've done but changing the way you think so you don't do that anymore. (laughs) So anyway... uh, By looking into the news of what's happened just this morning, or just in the last 24, 48 hours, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. So who is Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Well, that's one of the Supreme Court justices that has been on the Supreme Court for quite some time. Her career started way back in the 60s. And she was a staunch feminist and political activist and a lawyer and eventually became a judge and eventually became a Supreme Court judge. Well, we have articles on Supreme Court judges and uh, understanding the relationship of Supreme Court judges. No matter what country you're in, there's always some sort of a Supreme Court out there. But these these Supreme Court judges and all the other little judges, federal judges, state judges, local judges, these are the God's many that Paul talks about. Most people who read the Bible don't understand the words that they're reading, except in the context of their grade school or public school or even uh, college school education. The same word for God that we see in the Bible, both in Old and New Testament, is, can be translated Judges. Because those judges decide what is good and evil. You're not even supposed to decide what is good and evil. You're supposed to perceive what is good and evil by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the revelation. Revelation, because what is good and evil is a matter of a spiritual existence. It manifests itself. Now, we can look at manifestations of evil and say, that's bad. Or that's not bad, and we can we can discern that by looking. But if we lose our vision, our, our ability to discern, which requires a certain amount of spiritual insight, which was what we call revelation. You know, natural law is synonymous with divine law, and divine law as the knowing divine law is the result of revelation. And that means that you will just know inside yourself. Well, there's lots of things that can go on in your mind that will deceive you about what you know is right. You know something is right. You know something is wrong, but you will deny that. And that's what we call a delusion or a dysphoria. And we see a great deal of those dysphorias in the world today. We can see exaggerated forms of dysphoria. Uh, there's people... That, Walking around, clearly guys, you know, with beards and uh, and a whole history as men. And they're walking around in dresses saying that they identify as a woman and they're saying they're a woman and they require that you use female pronouns to talk to them and all this. And we just had a thing in the news today about uh, this controversy of men who say they're women and then going out and competing against women. Now anybody who, you could go out and get any random group of a hundred men and a hundred women and you can stand them next to each other and you could say, there's something different about the women and something different about the men. <laughs> there is. And just because some guy who has all kinds of testosterone flowing through his veins and, and has denser bones and more muscular, uh, strength, he's bigger in size and everything else, Suddenly say, I think I'm a woman, so now I get to wrestle women, race women, uh, play basketball and football against women. There's not much women football. I don't know. Are there women football? I don't ever remember seeing women football. I mean, there's women's basketball for sure. But, uh, the reality is, is that, uh, uh, men and women aren't the same. And, uh, if you're a man, that's a biological determination. You can feel like a woman if you're a man. That's fine. But you're not, you're not a woman. You're, you're a man. and you can't, There is no scientific way to change a man into a woman. You can alter them with cosmetic surgery. And you can give them hormones and hormone blockers. And you can do all these things. And you might be able to dress them up and make them look like a woman. But they're still a man. Every cell in their body has chromosomes screaming that they are a man. But you've altered the appearance, so you think you've altered the reality. No, you, you haven't. A man is a man, and a woman is a woman. And there's very rare circumstances where occasionally something goes wrong, and and uh, there is a, an actual biological dysphoria. Uh, but even then, uh, it's actually the determination is, is still pretty... Well marked. I mean, it's kind of like the platypus. Platypus, is it a mammal? You know, it lays eggs and has a duck bill and, you know, but no, it's, it's pretty much a mammal. These are, these are arbitrary designations that we have created. Like race is an arbitrary designation that we have created. We're saying if you have, you know, skull shapes this way or certain DNA this way or certain pigment in your skin this way, you're a part of that race. And then if you have pigment this way or, you know, an ancestry this way by DNA, then you're part of that race. The fact is the races blend all the time, but ducks don't mate with platypuses. That just doesn't happen in nature. So, you know, platypuses are, are mammals. They just don't fit our description of it. And you can't just change the description and change the reality. And unfortunately, a lot of people try to do that. And they try to do that with Christianity. They or they do that with religion. We've talked about that many times. 200 years ago, religion was the pious performance of a duty. Now, religion is what you think about God. So, that's a that's a drastic change. But changing that definition did not change the meaning of the word of religion that you see in the Bible. Which is why... Four out of the five times we see the word religion in Bible, Threskia in the Greek, it's not talking about good religion, it's talking about bad religion. But today we're going to talk a little bit about government, and so we're going to talk about good government and bad government. We're going to start this conversation with a little bit of talk about Ruth Ginsburg. And uh, Ruth... uh, like I said, she passed away and uh, there was the, the notorious RGB, they call her. I was reading a CNN article about her and and declared her the, quote, face of resistance against President Donald Trump. And she did say some bad things about Donald Trump and then she's actually retracted some things or at least regretted that she said them. But, uh, uh and she admitted that she shouldn't be uh, hyper polarizing uh, that if you get on the Supreme Court, you're not even, and evidently somebody talked to her, that you're not supposed to be political, because that's not supposed to be a political office. And uh, I'm not advocating Donald Trump, I'm, I'm trying to advocate the kingdom of God. I, we all, I must say all the time that Donald Trump is not your salvation, the office of presidency is not your salvation. As a matter of fact, the office of presidency is fundamentally and diametrically opposed to the the government of God. It is the government of the world. And Jesus' kingdom is not of the world. And those of you who have been following us know that the word world I'm referring to is the one that means constitutional order and system of government. And again, if you're reading the Bible and you don't know when they're using that word that means constitutional order and system of government, and you think they're using words like aeon, which means age, or other words that mean inhabited places, you won't understand the Bible because they're using a different word. So you have to, once you understand what word they're using there, you might understand what the Bible is talking about. It's still not a guarantee that you will understand what the Bible is talking about because what really guides you in understanding the Bible is not me. It's not the Pope. It's not, uh, you know, Billy Graham or his sons, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit dwells in you or wants to dwell in you if you let it. And there are many things you can do to keep the Holy Spirit from dwelling in you. And we're going to touch on some of that. But I wrote down one statement. Political hyper uh, hyperpolarization affects the court through law is about power, not justice. This idea of affecting the court through this political hyperpolarization is about power. It's not about justice. It's about making decisions for other people. And remember what I said is the Supreme Court and all the other judges and courts are the God's many that Paul talks about. And we have articles up at Preparing You and at His Holy Church that explain this in great detail. It's not, not difficult to explain. It's just different than what you normally hear. Those are the gods who decide what is good and evil. They can decide that it is is good that men dressed up like girls can compete in wrestling matches with women and and fracture their skull and uh, dislocate their arm, which all has happened already, uh, in high school. And... uh, You know, where girls had a chance for uh, athletic scholarship, they lose it because suddenly guys who say they think they're a girl are out there racing the girls and beating them. Because girls and guys are not equal when it comes to physical ability. You can find some girls that are pretty amazing, and you can find uh, some guys that are pretty weak, but the reality, generally speaking... Males have a decided advantage when it comes to many physical activities because the hormones are changing the structure of the man, changing his muscle, changing his bone density, etc. And there's a reason for this. And we're going to get into that eventually and why that's important. But let's take a look at the word politics before we go any farther so that we get an idea of how, what, what is this politics uh, which they say is defined at least once as the art of science of government or governing, especially the governing of political entity, such as a nation. Well, a nation really isn't a political entity. A nation is people. And, but and it says, and the administration and control of the internal and external affairs. Well, we have that in the kingdom of God, and you have that in the world. But it's decidedly different in the world. Than it is in the kingdom of God. And understanding that difference is understanding the gospel. And we'll be right back to do that. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're looking at this word politics to understand what it is. And it says it's the art or science of government or governing. And so, when you govern yourself, when you make choices for yourself, that's government. And the science or art of making those choices is a political event. Even though it's, it's not government, but governing, governing you as an individual. And when they say art or science, well, art, isn't art kind of something, you know, where you say somebody's an artist and they could paint this picture and it, it's, it's so filled with expression, it's almost like revelation. They're expressing something in art through their paintbrush or whatever it is that uh, is sending messages beyond just words. And uh, that's, that's kind of what, you know, Christ understood the art of the kingdom. He understood the spiritual reality of the kingdom and expressed it in words. He expressed it in deeds. He expressed it in his life. So this art of governing yourself involves a certain amount of a revelation of the spirit. It's the spirit in you, not just your mental process, but the spirit that dwelleth in you, helping you understand through your mental process what you're seeing, what you're doing, and how you should act and how you should not act. And so there is politics in the kingdom of God, but not politics of exercising authority one over the other. But allowing the Spirit to dwell in you and guide you in righteousness. Because remember, seeking the kingdom of God is not the only thing you should be doing according to the directive of Christ. Even John the Baptist, before Christ, was saying the same thing. To seek the kingdom of God, the politics of God, and the righteousness of God, by performance of your duty to God... And your fellow man, because if you don't take on your responsibilities, your duty to God and your fellow man, you should expect to lose your rights as an individual. And we may eventually get into the idea of sui juris. I did a lot of writing about sui juris. If you look up sui juris in Wikipedia, most of the plan, uh, most of the page on sui juris is talking about sui juris of the church. <laughs> it's talking about sui juris in relate. most of the page is talking about that, including the the sui juris of the church and the uh and even mentioning canon law and ecclesiastical law in relationship to sui juris. Now sui juris is just a, well we'll get into it later, but it basically has to do with it being in possession of your rights. It's it's an idiom, so it's just translating two words. But we'll look at that later. But I'm just giving you headers heads up of some of the things that we're going to go towards. But uh, this idea of political science, remember it's an art or science. So you have this thing of uh, political science, and when you start looking at it as a verb, it's the activities or affairs engaged by a government, politician, or a political party. Well... By a government, if we're going back to that word government in the sense of governing, every individual is born with certain inalienable rights endowed to him by God to govern. Not to govern other people, but to govern himself. Remember the original creation, according to the biblical explanation that we have come down to us through uh, Genesis, that uh, God gave to man. God had all the power, had all the right to make all the decisions, but he actually gave some decision-making power to man because he gave man a job and described that job and put limitations on that job and warnings with that job. That's a trust. He granted to us dominion. So he's giving us some authority Over the fish, over the animals that crawl, over the birds that fly in the air and everything. But man over man, he did not give us dominion. We do not have dominion of man over man. We can get that through making covenants, contracts, and constitution. And then the man can get power over other men. Because those men give them that power. And if you give them that power and consummate giving them that power, now they have power over that which you have given them. And you may not be able to take it back, depending on a lot of other things, which we may get into. So anyway, we'll just kind of take this a little bit at a time so we can ease up on it. Because if I just blurt out some of the answers to this right away, you're not going to have anything to hang it on to. So it, it talks about uh, parties there and uh, political parties. And, of course, I've said many times, you know, when you read the Constitution of the United States, it talks about we the people. Well, we the people doesn't refer to the average American living in America at the time of the Constitution. It simply doesn't refer to them. And it says that many times. The Supreme Court ruled it many times that the people were not a party to the Constitution. So if you're not a party to the Constitution, we the people at the beginning of the Constitution does not refer to the people. It refers to the people who sign up, take oaths to abide by the Constitution. That's all the people that are elected and are employed by this thing we call the federal government because that's what the constitution was creating it was creating a US federal government that the people were not a party to unless they signed up and you know went to Washington DC eventually and uh, became members of that government and uh, so that would mean that the uh, most of what you see in the bill of rights has to do with those people who were we the people which were the people who signed up now Since that, we've had all kinds of events, 14th Amendment, uh, uh, the the end of slavery, and then the addition of the 14th Amendment, and changes in how you vote, and all these kinds of things. And so now the people are kind of a party to the Constitution. (laughs) But they're mostly a party to the Constitution because they've made covenants with the entity created by the Constitution. But anyway... we. We've got lots of recordings on that and free books that you can read. It goes through it step by step. So that's another one of these little jumps that I have to make in this little discussion. So that you, you have something to hang this on. So if that's too bewildering, you may have to go and study our contracts, covenants and constitutions, the book, the recordings that we all have in place that you can see what we're talking about. Uh, in the third part of, uh, this definition of the uh, politics as a uh, as a verb uh, political life studied law with a view in going into politics felt that politics was a worthwhile career so they're using that verb uh, you know in a sentence so that you can kind of understand it and grasp it and you know, we can go through a number of these other Different ideas and and one of the things I looked up during the break was uh, what's the definition of politician? Well, actually, there's two quite divergent definitions of politician. One is a person who is a professionally involved in politics. he's getting paid in, in politics, especially as a holder or of or a candidate for an elected office. Do we have such offices in the kingdom of God? Well, that's a controversial question and the the answer is even more controversial and it would require us to define some of the words that we're using, you know, like professionally, because that usually means you're getting paid. Involved in politics, well, we just talked about what politics, the art of governing. But we know specifically from Christ's words in Matthew, Mark and Luke That he says, we're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. And in uh, Luke, it talks about them being benefactors. But they're benefactors simply because they exercise that authority and they force the contributions of the people. Through forcing those contributions of the people, they're able to be benefactors to the rest of the people. We're not to be that way. In the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus was appointing the kingdom, said he was going to take it away, give it to another group. He said he was going to give it to his little flock. It was going to be his pleasure to give it to his little flock. And then we see in Luke, where he is appointing the kingdom to this little flock of his apostles and the 120 and the 70 in the upper room. He's appointing the kingdom to them to serve the people. Now, his little flock is the called out. It is the ecclesia. He called out his apostles and he kept them separate from the world. And whenever you see that separate from the world, that's constitutional order and system of government of Rome and Judea. They're separate from those existing political entities because that's part of that definition of a political entity and politics. They're separate from that. One of the reasons they're separate is because they are a separate government. There is another king, one Jesus. And he calls out a small group, his little flock, to be this separate group to serve the people who are called out of sin, but are not called out of the system. They can leave the system if the system permits them to leave, but Peter says very clearly that we will become merchandise. How do you unmerchandise yourself once you become merchandise? He talks about us being surety for debt. And he talks about us cursing our children with that debt. And and this is this is part of the prophecies of Peter. And you can find the same prophecy all throughout the Bible. That if we go a certain way, we will become merchandise. We will become surety for debt. We will run towards evil. If we desire to have one purse and all consent to have that one purse. You know, Proverbs tells us this. It's in the Psalms. It's over and over again that we're not to be coveting our neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. This is why the corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. Having that knowledge is not enough. You must turn around, think differently, and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In order to do that, you have to start following the commands of Christ to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about your neighbor and your neighbor's rights as much as you care about your own. The reason you have to do that first is because the reason you're in bondage, the reason you become merchandise, the reason you become subject to the God's many of the world is because you did not care as much about your neighbor as you did about your own personal welfare. And when you do that, you lose the art of governing in the kingdom of God. You lose the revelation of God. You're cast out of the garden of paradise and can no longer see what is good and evil because you decided to decide for yourself what is good and evil. Now, in order to get away with that, you empowered certain people. You gave them some of your responsibilities, and with that, they now have rights over you. You want to fix that. You want to go back to being in possession of your rights, to be sui juris. You have to reverse that process that has led you away. See, many people are waking up, and they feel the sting of the scorpion. The whips of Rehoboam. My father whipped you with whips. I shall whip you with scorpions. And you say, Ouch! I don't like that. I don't like being whipped. I don't like being controlled. I don't like being oppressed. If you really are oppressed, which you may or may not be. But you, you definitely feel that there's something wrong and you want to make it right. I've been in contact with a, a home congregation group that once, that sees there's something wrong with the modern church. It's empty and void in their life and they wanted to change it. And so they formed this group where they think the ecclesia that called out is just everybody who believes in Jesus. But that's not the way the word was used in the text of the Bible. The ecclesia doesn't mean assembly. An ecclesia might assemble, but that's not the definition of the word. You can translate it assembly, but you're really not doing that word the service. We have all kinds of words that are translated assembly in the Greek. And each one means something a little bit different. Ecclesia does not mean assembly. It doesn't mean congregation. It means called out. Very clearly, it means called out. And Jesus called out his apostles, kept them out, separate from the world, the constitutional order and system of government of the Pharisees. They were idiotists. They used a particular word idiotist to describe people like Peter, which doesn't mean he was illiterate. It means he was unregistered. We show this in articles, it's taking you to the Word and showing you how the Word is used at that time in many other Greek texts. And why that was. He was unregistered. Was Jesus registered? Didn't Jesus go to Bethlehem? And was born in Bethlehem to get registered in Bethlehem during the big census? Well, was he registered? Because we know an angel appeared to Joseph and said, You better get out of here. (laughs) Better head south to Egypt. So was he registered? During that whole period of time where people were getting registered and getting to be a part of this system of Corbin being set up by Herod and the Pharisees in the temple, Jesus was in Egypt with Joseph. He probably wasn't the poor itinerant carpenter, but an actual... There are many other stories that have come down to us about Joseph being a a stonemason and uh, was a... uh, very uh bright and intelligent well trained not a carpenter but a, someone who constructed big buildings out of stone and and made them fit and uh so anyway and it's believed that he worked uh, as a contractor in Caesarea and helped build some of those things he was well to do well respected wasn't this humble carpenter that everybody talks he was humble, but he was uh a construction contractor and uh probably did some work with wood but <laughs> we have to get our head out of the Hollywood vision of Jesus Christ now why is that important well bits and pieces is how they begin to steer you away from the real message of Christ because Christ was rich his family was rich it says that in the Bible it tells you that though he was rich that's what Paul says though he was rich he made himself poor. He gave up his wealth to show you a better way. And there was a reason why he gave up his wealth. And we explain that in other places. But let's get back to this idea of the politics of the kingdom. And where are we going with this? And what does Ruth Bader Ginsburg have to do with all of this? <laughs> but anyway, uh, spirituality and politics, if you go back to 2 Kings 23, 24... Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. Now, was he successful at that? Now, I only read this particular quote. It's kind of an odd quote, but he's talking about the images and idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land. Now, recently we've seen a lot of people tearing down statues. Also, if you if you look at everybody from Walt Disney on, are tearing down and certainly. Uh, uh, you know, Zinn's history of uh, America and that we just heard uh, recently the President of the United States was talking about uh, rooting out uh, critical theory and uh, and a lot of these ideas that are uh, counter-American in the schools. He's probably going to get all kinds of flack for that. But the reality is... is the uh the schools have been taking over the minds of your children something fierce and we could give you all kinds of statistics on that we may get to that probably in the second show but uh i'm not for tearing down the statues because i i know that's not what tearing down idols is all about and certainly not with the spirit that i see people uh, tearing down statues and tearing down heroes uh, that we see them doing. You know, Jefferson is bad and Benjamin Franklin was bad and all these guys. And they were certainly flawed men. That's for sure. George Washington was bad and all this stuff. George Washington actually at times regretted having become a part of the Constitution of the United States. He began to think that it was a mistake that we put that Constitution in place. And there certainly are many things that Jefferson was concerned about in the Constitution and Adams and Madison were all expressing these concerns. You stop learning there, those concerns in schools 50, 60 years ago. I, I got in on the tail end of it because I was looking at my brother, older brother's school books and we went to private schools. We didn't go to public schools, so we were slower at changing the books. But the books were changing even back then. I didn't realize how extensive that was until I started looking for school books to use to teach my own children. And I was just shocked at how uh, comprehensive the changes in our history books were. So if you were raised in public schools and even private schools in the last 50 years, you didn't learn real American history. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. So when we tell you a lot of things that you haven't heard before, don't be surprised. We have a lot of information to back them up. We just can't go through every little jot and tittle (laughs) in a a radio program. So don't stop listening just because we will eventually cover all these things and have many of these things already. So anyway, I mentioned that this we're going to end up talking about sui juris eventually, but we have to work into it, and I've got a lot of stuff prepared on that, still working on more and more. But uh, it literally means self-law. That that's that's the idiom, self-law. Well, self-law, that's what got us into trouble, that we were going to decide for ourselves what was good and evil. So being sui juris is what it seems like Adam was trying to do. (laughs) He was going to cut out our Father in heaven, and he was going to be sui juris and make up his own law. He was going to decide what was good and evil. But again, it's a Latin idiom. So what it's in relationship to the laws of other men... Sui juris is mean that other men don't have the right to make law for me. But now, when you got to that status of sui juris, when other men don't have a right to make law for you, where exactly are you standing in relationship to God? Which is why I said you should start with the instructions at the beginning, which is to sit down into tens, hundreds, and thousands and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness before you seek to be sui juris. Because from the very beginning, when I wrote Covenants of the Gods years ago, and that book just poured out of me when I finally, you know, it was a culmination of years and years of being in courtrooms with my father and and uh, reading different things and, and listening to what God had to show me. And I had thousands of these Kodak moments where God was showing me certain things that I knew they meant something. But I didn't know exactly how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. It's like, you know, you're making that 15,000 piece puzzle and all of a sudden the picture begins to take shape and the pieces start going in more rapidly. And that's what happened when all of a sudden I had this kind of revelation on the contractual nature of our relationship with government. And I wrote that book, Covenants of the Gods. But uh, people would ask me, well, does this work? And, you know, it's funny because right at the beginning of the book, I mean, the first article I ever wrote was in the magazine Iconoclast, you know, that was published in a regular magazine. I had articles I wrote back in high school that people said should be published, but I never got around to doing them. They were different kind of articles, stories more. But the first article I ever wrote that got published was in the Iconoclast. And they said I was an iconoclast, (laughs) and so that's why they said I should publish in that art uh, in that magazine. I had to look up the word iconoclast. You know, I I had an idea what it meant, but I I needed to look at it. And I I guess I am kind of an iconoclast because I'm telling you stuff you haven't heard before, which sometimes tears down what you already think is true. And uh I do it with a pen, not with a hammer, but sometimes people think my pen is a hammer, but that's just a point of view. This idea of of uh seeing things differently is really what Christ was all about. One of the things that ruth uh Beta Ginsburg said, uh, "The state controlling a woman would mean denying her full autonomy." and full equality. Well, we talked about at the beginning of the show that men and women aren't equal in one sense. We are all, you know, men and women are both men. It's in the name. Woman and man, they're both man. They're not, when we talk about man in general, we are including woman. And all men are created equal in the eyes of God. But they are not all created equal in size, in stature, in mental ability, and mental skills. Women are better at some skills than men. And men are better at some skills than women. And we could say the same thing with art. That men have a, a, a different artistic view of the world. And women may have a different artistic or revelation view of the world. But it's the same world. They will have different opinions about the same thing, but opinions don't change reality. Reality is not subject to your opinion. God's opinion is reality. Your opinion is a point of view. And women and men have different point of view, and that's a good thing. Because in that difference, we can come together. It requires humility and forgiveness, etc., 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 So how does one define equality? We are created equal while at the same time we are not equal. Men and women were designed to be different. And without that difference and that contrasting view of life, it provides they can never find themselves. It is a genius thing. We will talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're talking about the politics of the kingdom. And, of course, in the kingdom there are both men and women. And men and women are different. And the design of God made that difference in men and women, not just for some sort of mechanical, biological reason, but is actually repeated over and over again throughout creation. The, You know, even in the Chinese philosophy or Oriental philosophy of yin and yang and and these uh, or positive and negative uh, opposites attract we see all these different things in the laws of science men and women are made to be different because there is growth in that difference there is power in that difference but without that difference and the contrasting view of life that that difference creates uh You can never really find yourself as an individual. You have to have that difference, pitting yourself against that difference in a benevolent sort of way in order to actually find yourself and to find the truth. Because you can't find yourself until you're willing to see the truth about yourself. You know, I always say that if a man thinks he is wise, let him marry. Because by the nature of the woman, she will Without even trying, she will bring him face to face with his weaknesses. The good woman is happy when he overcomes his weaknesses and the bad woman is happy when he falls to his weaknesses and she gains power over him. But the the reality is, either way, the woman is going to, by her nature, present him with those weaknesses. As well as, the woman is going to be confronted with her weaknesses by the presence of a man. And what was the weakness of Eve? Eve is that she was the one to be tempted to want power. And man fell to that temptation as well. He wanted to be able to decide what was good and evil. But the real sin of Adam, as I've said many times before, is where he compounded his error is when he did not accept the responsibility for his error and tried to blame God and the woman for his weakness. And he's still doing that today. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And we do the same thing in politics. It's not our fault, it's the Democrats. And the Democrats, it's not our fault, it's those Republicans. And they're creating a dialectic where the dialectic doesn't belong. And they're doing that to keep you from actually seeing the real problem. And the real problem has always been in you. It's not in the politics. I can find all kinds of criticism in the Democratic philosophy or the liberal or leftist philosophy that you see out there uh, floating around and I could criticize that I could also find a great deal wrong on the Republican side or the conservative side and you know because these aren't very distinct sides uh, for one thing but our, our view should be seeking to see the whole truth well you cannot find the truth without humility and if you take pride in your party instead of seeking the righteousness of God you will not see the truth Sometimes I post things that are by uh, people like Prager U, U or Ben Shapiro because occasionally they say stuff that is true. I am not advocating them. I'm advocating the truth that they may stumble upon from time to time. Even Ruth uh, Beta Ginsburg stumbled on the truth from time to time. But when you get down to analyzing how she uses these. You, you can look up all kinds of quotes on her, and some of the quotes are actually pretty good. Maybe we'll mention a few of them. Uh, but in the context of what? If, if you know, wisdom is in the context... I mean, the devil is wise. You know, men are wise in their own eyes. But men are finite. And certainly the devil is finite. He's incomplete. And so wise in your own eyes is not enough. It's not. It's not the truth. Because the truth is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Anything less than the whole truth is a lie. So anyway, like I said, you cannot find the truth without humility. But to create a relationship of competition strangles the growth of humility in the soul. And that's one of the things that Ruth did. Is she created a? And feminism in general it created this competition between men and women. And somehow, you know, she thinks that until, you know, people said, what, how, how many women need to be on the Supreme Court? And she says it's not enough until there's nine. Until they're all women. Like it's somehow the competition is between men and women. There is a difference in, in men and women. There is a different point of view in men and women. But it's not a competition. Because our goal is not to dominate one over the other. Our goal is to find the truth, and see one of the temptations that always comes to man is because physically he is often stronger. Physically, he is able to dominate a woman, you know. And in you know, most women, unless it's Ronda Rousey, the man has the decided advantage. Uh, but uh, that's a temptation. And that with that responsibility of being stronger comes a temptation. Woman gets power over man all the time by offering him comfort, by offering him uh, praise and adoration. That's a temptation that a woman is going to do that to get her way, to get power too. It's all, when it becomes all about power, taking power from others, gaining power over others, it's counterproductive. When it's about giving life, laying down your life for others, which men and women, by the nature of their relationship, the man goes out, works himself literally to death eventually, trying to care for the woman. He sleeps in the mouth of the cave to protect the woman. He's trying to protect the woman uh, and, and her body from abuse by others. And he is always in danger of being tempted to abuse her himself. And that these, in overcoming those temptations, which can only be done through humility of service, he is in danger. So when he becomes this separate individual from the world. This sui juris, in possession of his rights, he must also take possession of his responsibilities. And our job from the beginning, granted to us to have that dominion, you want that dominion, you have to dress it and keep it. That means take care of it and protect it. That goes for the woman as, as well as the dominion over all of the earth. Now, originally man wasn't given dominion over the woman. But that when we fell to trying to decide things for ourselves, that fell into place. Once we return to the garden, we're back to that state of equality. But both man and woman have to admit that they cannot decide what is good and evil based on their own desires. And the beginning of that is humility. And one of the most humbling things is to lay down your life for your fellow man. I remember a wife was talking about her husband. She was so impatient with her husband and everything. I knew them both for a long time. And I said, if you fell into the ocean and there were sharks there, your husband would probably be the first one to jump in to save you. And, and he probably would have been, you know. Although she she joked about, well, maybe. <laughs> you know, but, but the reality is, you know, we're not perfect. But the fact is there are many men. And, you know, I, I, I just told the story, I think, at the Burning Bush Festival about the, this video online that where somebody was just walking down the street, a husband and wife, and their small five-year-old child were walking down the street. And a crazy woman came up and just started hitting the child. Just started hitting, them and the child was walking between the parents. Instantaneously, you know, you, before you could hardly even see what was going on, the woman grabbed the child and pulled it away from danger, putting the child, putting herself between the danger and the child, pushing the child farther away and putting her back to the person swinging at them, which was this old lady. And the husband was on the other side, and he immediately circled around the two and threw himself in the way and was taking the blows of the old woman who was swinging, you know, was putting up his hands and stopping her. Like, you know, like, immediately they took on the role of husband and wife, both risking themselves, putting themselves in harm's way, like a good Marine, <laughs> you know, putting themselves in harm's way because that is their nature, one in retreat, you know, ushering the child to safety to the back of the cave, so to speak, and the husband going out and meeting the Trianosaurus rex or whatever the threat was that was coming at his family. And what they were doing is the essence of men and women is laying down their life for the next generation. What we've been doing for the last 50, 60 years is consuming benefits at such a rapid rate from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority and borrow money against the future of your children. You have been plummeting your children every year. This whole COVID nonsense has plummeted the country and magnified the debt of your children by trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars. You're doing just the opposite. Instead of putting yourself between Molech who wants to consume your children for all eternity, you're casting your children on the fires of Moloch in order that you might be safe. And you have put your faith in a mask. And you will put your faith in doctors and and in uh, vaccines that are completely unnecessary. Like I said, 27% or 28% of the people, according to the one study, peer-reviewed study, were already immune before the virus even arrived because they had carried over immunity in their T1 cells, not antibodies. You wouldn't test for antibodies to find the antibodies there because they're not producing the antibodies because the virus isn't around. But your T1 cells remember how to produce the antibodies. And as soon as they come in contact with a corona-type virus, they begin to produce the antibodies. That's already built into so it wasn't a Nova virus, it was new a little bit, but it was still a coronavirus twenty eight percent that's halfway to herd immunity, and then most of the people don't even get sick. you know uh, somebody just found out that I had already had the coronavirus, and they say, and everybody in our family had it, and they says, Oh well, you're lucky that everybody survived why ninety nine percent of everybody who gets it survives so why was that unique <laughs> but they don't know that cuz they they put their faith in uh CNN rather than the keys of the kingdom <laughs> i don't want you to put your faith in keys of the kingdom i want you to find that spiritual revelations if you go to numbers 530 uh it says or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him And he be jealous over his wife and shall set the woman before the Lord and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. Now, we won't go into all that law, but they're talking about the key element here is the spirit of jealousy. The division of man and woman is natural. So that both men and women may become individually whole through love of one another. And even more important, for that third party, their child, to lay down their life for their child, awakens that spiritual revelation and not the spirit of jealousy. When you are turning your child over to Molech and debt and uh, making them a surety for the debt so that you can be comfortable today. So that you can be comforted today by the fathers of the earth. By the benefactors who exercise authority. That is the spirit of jealousy. That is the spirit of envy. That is the spirit of selfishness. And there is no reason on earth you should ever be sui juris. As long as you still are catering to that spirit of jealousy and envy and anger and judgment. Trying to decide what is good and evil for yourself. Now... If we go fully towards the kingdom, we have to care about our neighbor's child as much as we care about our own. And that's another huge step in the progress towards the keys to the kingdom. But it is fundamentally begins with caring about your family, taking care of your family. And taking care of your family without coveting your neighbor's goods, without taking anything from your neighbor, either directly or in, If you took it directly from your neighbor, if you just went over and took stuff from them, that's called stealing. But if you get men who exercise authority and you get your neighbor to sign up to have one purse so that the men who exercise authority can go to your neighbor's house and take from your neighbor to provide you with free education, a free fire department, free health care, free welfare all these things that you want for free at your neighbor's expense, you are doing the opposite of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're actually going away from the kingdom of God. In Zechariah seven twelve, we see, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law. They made their hearts like stone. Lest they hear the law. And the law of what? The law of love. The words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. All the prophets were saying this. and We're going to get in eventually into a study of all the prophets. So you can see they all said the same thing. But they're not saying what your modern minister is saying. The modern minister says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. All the prophets, and Jesus himself said very clearly, it's not okay. You are not to be that way. But anyway, it goes on to say, therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. I see all these people pouring out of California. Maybe it's about to fall into the sea. (laughs) They've been predicting that for 50 years or more. It goes way back uh, Back in the 30s, they were predicting that California would fall into the sea. (laughs) Actually, even the Hopis. This, uh, I predicted it even farther back than that. They actually said when uh, the lands to the west burn that there would be a great quake and they'd return to the ways of the Hobie. But they also said the sea would come closer. And they're in, what, New Mexico, Arizona, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Not that I'm predicting that. I haven't seen that. But, I mean, geologically speaking, that is all possible. I mean, there will be a subduction quakes along this west coast, and it will kill millions upon millions of people, and it's 75 years overdue by geologist standards. And the geologists are talking to FEMA every day and talk to my son who... You know, has access. He sits in on a lot of these meetings with FEMA about the disasters that are coming. And they are preparing, but they're preparing for them and their children. They're not preparing for God's children. God's children should be preparing for themselves. And the way to do that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start doing what Christ commanded. Start coming together as the people of God, the nation of God, which is not a political entity. The ecclesia, the called out. They may be political, but they're political, not like the politics of the world. They cannot exercise authority one over the other. They can't force the contributions of the people. But if somebody gives them something, they have authority over that, and that would be a political exercise of authority over what has been freely given them. But that's the distinction between the world and the kingdom of God. Everything that is given into the government of God is freely given and the power to give next week is still in the hands of the people and so therefore acts as a natural governor to what the true ministers of the church should be doing. If they don't do a good job, they're not getting anything next week to do it with. It will be the responsibility of the people governing themselves to daily vote who they're going to give their votive offering to. I've added to that page at preparing you on votive offerings so you understand it better. But you have to go there and look at it. We'll talk about it later, but we're not going to get off on that subject. In Luke two twenty-seven, 27, we see, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law. He came by the Spirit into the temple. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is the Spirit coming into you or are you doing things to keep the Spirit out? Humility is essential. And one of the most humbling things is to forgive other people. That is That draws you into the realm of humility. To judge other people kills humility judgment is a competitive thing one of the things that ruth ginsburg did was create a competition between men and women the mere idea that you know that you need nine women judges on the supreme court the mere idea she says there's something wrong with nine men judges on the supreme court is puts in the spirit comes in with the spirit of competition the reality is, if we were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we'd have no need of a Supreme Court, except as an appeals court, for actual laws already in existence, not to judge the laws of men, who are daily deciding what is good and evil. Originally in the Republic, the, the uh, whoever was in office in the original Republic, even before the Constitution, because we were a Republic before the Constitution, we were a republic before the American Revolution. And we show you that in history where, you know, uh, Cromwell was sending troops to protect the American Republic. That's what he said, to protect the American Republic. And when you talk to Jefferson, he referred to every county as a republic. But in a republic, the leaders are titular. They don't, they're not lawmakers. They're simply representatives. They receive information and share information back to the people and the people make the decision. Not decisions like a democracy where 51% of the people can rule over the other 49. But if there is a need like this fire, we didn't take a vote on whether to go fight the fire or not. <laughs> people went and fought the fire. This this morning when we woke up, it's as clear as it's been in in a month. Well, almost a month. Clear as, clear as it's been this month <laughs> anyway <laughs> and uh it's because mostly because of uh, the backfire started by the RPA and and the work that they've done and in, in, in assisting the fire now the forest service has done their share but they had 10 times the resources and uh but they've actually created problems and uh Hopefully they'll get better at it, but I've always had that hope since way back I first worked for them and quit. (laughs) So anyway, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be judgmental, but the fact is, is that when you have a system of the people, for the people, and by the people, you will get a different result than when you have a system that is corporate. Where somebody has been given power and they're unleashed with that power and they, they're not answerable to their fellow man. They're answerable to a hierarchy above them. Is there a hierarchy in the kingdom of God? Well, actually, to some degree, there is a hierarchy, but not over people. We do not exercise authority one over the other. If I say hierarchy, you're thinking, oh, that's somebody who exercises authority over others. That's not the way the kingdom works. We're forbidden to do that. But if you were to give, if you were to give me a hundred dollars, and I were to take, Ten dollars of that, and give it to my minister, and uh, and he was ministering ten other people, and each one of them, then he would have a hundred dollars. He has a hundred percent authority over the ten dollars I gave him and the ninety dollars given to him by other people. He has archa authority rule. He can rule over that hundred dollars on his own. But he he has been given that freely. And if you give to your minister freely, he gets to rule over that which you gave him freely. But if you were sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, your ministers would be joint heirs and there'd be another self-governing part of that instrument. You have all that in your own body. You have bones in your body. You can bend this arm this far and no farther. <laughs> and that is built in governing to know I can't go this far. And uh, I can only go this far. And so that's, there is the body of Christ. And it has built in governing agents that Christ put into place right clearly in the text that you need to follow. It gives you great mobility and and liberality of movement and choice. It puts 90% of the choices in the kingdom of God in the hands of the individual. The world is in the process of taking 90% of your choices out of your hands and in the hands of the elite. It's absolutely the reverse of seeking the kingdom of God. And whether you're uh, a Republican or a Democrat or a constitutionalist or a libertarian, if you're looking to the Constitution as it stands today for your salvation... You're looking at an institution of power. And the more and more power that we've seen filtering into the federal government and the state governments over the last 200 years, it's been increasing and increasing, mostly by your sloth and avarice. That, that power has created huge powers in offices of power. And what happens is men who seek power seek office. And... It has weakened you and degenerated you, some of you, into perfect savages. Which is why you see all the riots in the streets. And this was predicted by people thousands of years ago. And predicted by all the prophets. Warned you over and over again that this is what would happen. In Romans 7, 6 we see, But now we are delivered from the law... Now, he's talking about the statutory law of the Pharisees that were forcing the contributions of the people through a system of Corbin sacrifice. That's what Corbin means. Through a system of sacrifice to fill a treasury. They actually translate Corbin into treasury. Through force. Forcing the offerings of the people. And that, of course, is making the word of God to none effect because it has to be by voluntarism. By freely giving. Free will offerings. That's what they call it in the Old Testament. We call it charity in the New Testament. That being dead wherein we were held, in other words making the word of God did none effect, and they were sureties for the debts of the Pharisees and Herod, and therefore they had to pay in because they were all registered. They weren't idiotists. That we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world. We do it by charity. They do it by force. We do it by faith. They do it by fealty. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back. So, in Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the law of the Corbin of the Pharisees. The forcing the offerings of the people. It's the way the world operates. He goes on to say, for what the law could not do, that meaning the law of the Pharisees, that it made it a law you had to pay in. They had guys actually going around, walking off, measuring your fields, counting the branches of your Cummins plant in the sill. Because they were going to get a portion of it. And you had to pay them. Because you had signed up for this system. That was created by Herod. A a similar system to what had been created in Rome. Under Augustus. Had been moving in that direction. For almost a hundred years before Augustus. But Augustus was that. That revolution. Changed the relationship of the people. To the government. It was kind of. they. That's when they got their 14th amendment. And. You know, when they, they opposed Tiberius and eventually overthrew Caligula, they had done so to restore the republic. Even though Augustus was running, when he ran for office, thats he actually had to run for offices every 10-year term of office, he ran on a party of family values and returned to the republic. Well, if they, he was talking about a return to the republic, they had left the republic. How they had done that? Well, they were now a democracy, electing a commander-in-chief, that's what imperator means, who also held the office often of uh, Principas Civitas, the president of Rome, and the office of Apotheos, which was the appointer, apo, of gods, of the federal judges throughout the empire. You see a parallel there anywhere? <laughs> uh, Ruth Beta Ginsburg was asked why she didn't step down during the Obama administration because her health was already failing. But she said, Well, who could he have appointed that would have been like me? And the fact is that he failed to appoint several. That was uh, what they didn't, they thought Hillary was going to appoint the next chief justices. But instead, Trump got in, much to their surprise, and he's appointing justices. But that dialectic doesn't, isn't between, that's between Republicans and Democrats. It's not between the world and the kingdom. If you really want salvation of Christ, you have to be erring on the side of the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom and the character of the kingdom. There is no salvation in the world. Jesus wants the world to be saved. God so loved the world, and he uses that actual word, that he gave his only begotten son that they might be saved. Well, they can only be saved if they repent and seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And the the kingdom of God does not force the contributions of the people. Well, under both Democrats and Republicans, they both have been increasing the debt. I mean, Trump just increased the debt unphenomenally by the COVID scare. We're all supposed to believe that if we hadn't done all this face masks and social distancing, we would have all died. there then been millions of people that died. Why didn't they die in Sweden? They, they didn't die in Sweden. Why didn't they die in South Dakota? They didn't, they didn't die by millions in South Dakota. And even though South Dakota is pretty spread out, they have some congested towns and cities, but they left it to the people and they did pretty well. It wasn't much worse than the normal flu. They said, you know, all the death rate has been coming from mostly democratically controlled states. And I don't believe the death numbers that they have. And, they, and I don't believe it because they told me that, you know, they said over and over again that they're counting anybody who has COVID, not people who died of COVID. But anybody who might have had COVID and they can't even tell who had COVID because they're using a PCR test, which they state can't really tell if it's COVID or just a regular flu. It's, it's a, it's a rough guess even with the test. And if the test goes over 30 cycles, it's guaranteed to be a false positive. And they're going 37 and more. Which is why some, I mean, it's not even a standard by which they all go by. Because some of the uh, testing outfits, everybody comes back positive. <laughs> because they go up, they go up way too high in the number of cycles that they run. It's a its a quantitative test. So all this is just facts and information. But none of, you're not going to get it on CNN. You do get it on the Keys of the Kingdom. But we're not talking about that today. So anyway, I'm talking about this spiritual life of Christ, Jesus had made me free, he says, from the law of sin, which is this law of forced contribution, the corbin of the Pharisees, which was sin because it was making the word of God to none effect he's free of that, but now he's in another system that operates by free will offering, so he ends up going and talking to the galatians in in uh, chapter three, verse one, O foolish galatians, who who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified amongst you. Was he crucified amongst the Galatians? (laughs) Now you have to listen to how Paul talks. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Are we made perfect by the flesh or by the Spirit? Now, what we do in the flesh is evidence of what Spirit is dwelling in us. But it is the Spirit that giveth life. So you have to have the Spirit of laying down your life for others. That's the Spirit of Christ so that you may pick up your life more abundant in the grace of God. Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles amongst you, doth he it by works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Again, in the kingdom of God, you live by faith. Not by fealty, not by entitlements, not by forced offerings, but by charity. If you're not doing that, and if you're not doing that for others, you see, you have to love others as much as you love yourself. So you have, it's not just you take care of you. You also have to gather together in a way to efficiently take care of others. And that's why Christ commanded that his ministers, before there's any daily ministration, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He appointed a church to be a sui juris church. To be set in place. Not to exercise authority over you, but to help you provide for one another. That's the job of the minister. The job of the minister is not to tell you what to believe. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Your minister is not to be tickling your ears. He is not your comforter. Your comforter is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit won't tickle your ears. (laughs) His job is to facilitate the daily ministration by linking every 10 families with every 90 families in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's his job. To help you rightly divide your bread from house to house in a way that nobody has to go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercises authority one over the other. So that nobody has to go to the fathers of the earth. Your father is in heaven. And he has appointed men. He is called out to facilitate that. And there's a a lot of reasons for that. We won't go into that. Let's go back to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and take a look at something else she said. She said, talking about feminism, and she was a feminist, as whatever that means. But she says, You know, I think the simplest explanation and one that captures the idea is a song that Marl Thomas sung. Free to be you and me. Free to be if you were a girl. Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, anything you want to be. And if you're a boy and you'd like teaching you like nursing, you would like to have a doll, that's okay too. That notion that we should each be free to develop our own talents, whatever they may be, and not be held back by artificial barriers, man-made barriers, and certainly not heaven-sent. That's her. Certainly not have. When I read that this morning, I thought of what Biden said in one of his speeches: "You're not going to get a miracle." And of course, he's talking about his supporters, and they're not going to get a miracle. Well, the fact is, I'm not sure that Trump supporters are going to get a miracle either. (laughs) But I'm not in charge of that. But I do know this: those who seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, they will get a miracle. And the fact is, you need a miracle because you've gone a long way down the wrong road. So she says, who do you, uh, you know, another quote from her, since I was talking about her a lot in the show, I might as well get through some of these uh, because I want to get to one part of her philosophy that just simply uh, people need to rethink and reconsider. When she was asked why she didn't step down during the Obama administration so that he could pick well, good thing she didn't. Maybe from their point of view, I, I'm really, that's their world. I'm trying to get you to seek the kingdom of God. But Obama put off picking Supreme Court justices so that Hillary could pick them. And Hillary didn't get to pick them. Well, maybe if Trump loses, somebody else will get to pick them. But again, Trump is not your salvation. Christ is. You can pick to change the direction you've been going right now you don't have to wait for election day because every day is election day in the kingdom of God she says who do you think the president could nominate referring to Obama that could get through the Republican Senate so they need to change the Republican Senate Uh, they've changed the Congress but you can see the handwriting on the wall I give you the statistics that you're losing ground now this may be a landslide for Trump he may lose who knows? It's up, there's definitely all the people grappling for positions of power. What you need to be doing is grappling for the righteousness of God. And that's your, where your salvation lies. But I, I will quote somebody who was talking about Kennedy held up his old uh, boss as a uh, cautionary tale. Marshall's health uh, problems forced him to retire during the administration of George H.W. Bush, who replaced the legendary civil rights lawyer with Clarence Thomas, a conservative ideologue who has spent 27 years on the bench working to unravel virtually everything Marshall fought for. Okay, it says, if... Justice Ginsburg departs from the Supreme Court with a Republican in the White House. Kennedy wrote, It is probable that the female Thoroughgood, Marshall, will be replaced by a female Clarence Thomas. And so people are absolutely afraid of that. And uh, the, the problem is, is that Marshall was wrong about a lot of his ideas. And if you don't believe me, ask Thomas Sowell, Booker T. Washington of the Tuskegee, you know, what they call the Tuskegee Wizard, or Walter E. Williams or Frederick Douglass or uh, or, or Clarence Thomas, why he is unraveling those things. But you can also talk to Bob Woodson and Jason Riley and Shelby Steele. And some of these guys were diehard You know, Walter Williams, diehard, you know, he was a Malcolm X guy. Shelby Steele as well. But they see that this whole battle against the Affirmative Action and the Civil Rights Act, they're against it. They opposed it. And we could go through all that. We may have to do that in the afternoon show. But it is important to understand where the, the... where her philosophy went wrong, because many of you are falling prey to that, but the opposing philosophy is not found in the Democratic Party or in the Republican Party, because both of them have the philosophy of being men who exercise authority one over the other. You know, Ginsburg actually opposed a great many things in Roe v. Wade, and she even says the court deprives women of the right to make an autonomous choice even at the expense of their safety. This way of thinking reflects ancient notions about women's place in the family and under the Constitution ideas that have long since been discredited. Discredited by what? She is fundamentally, not to speak ill of the dead, but fundamentally opposed To notions of the ancient notions of the family of husband and wife as they were meant to be, most of the history of men and women has not been a battle between men and women, but a battle between righteousness and unrighteousness, and with men and women as allies against together in that battle. Just like that couple walking down the street, where the woman pulls the next generation to safety and puts herself between uh, harm and her child. And the husband leaps into action to stop this threat from outside of the family, into the family. And where the kingdom of God comes is those families gather together for the same purposes of protecting the woman and protecting who is the vessel of the man for the next generation. She is the woe man. The woman is a man with a womb. And, and the man has been protecting that woman for thousands upon thousands of years. It is true that you see in some areas and some cultures where the men oppress the woman. But the cultural, cultures who do that, they begin to oppress the woman, really oppress her instead of protect her, they are not far from falling into decay and destruction. Every every nation, if you go back in history, that had a sexual revolution to supposedly free the woman, actually made the woman an object, and within two generations, that those civilizations decayed and crumbled and fell under their own corruption woman is something to be cherished and to be cared for not just as an object but as a fellow man a man with a womb who can generate the next civil, uh, the next generation because in that process of generation to generation we lay down our lives for one another noah was saved because he was righteous in his generations not because he was a righteous man but he was at least righteous in his generations And we see the same thing and we follow that Galatians quote that it says, Even Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But but he goes on to say, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. But you are under the law. You're not under the law of the Pharisees, but you're under the law of God. If you're going to be sui juris on your own and not under the law of God, then what you're doing is what I said way back at the beginning of all this show I was talking about writing that book Covenants of the Gods and people said does this work and I said right in the beginning it says there is no solution in this book but to understand the problem to solve the problem you need to understand the problem and that's what the problem is that you have been looking for benefits from men who exercise authority at the expense of your neighbor and you have... You have been taking a bite out of one another and now you have been devoured. And now you want to be spit out. What that book does, if you follow what some think is the logical path in that book, there is no path in that book. It's, it's imaginary if you think you found one. Is that you're going to find yourself down on the shores of the Red Sea with all the armies of the Pharaoh coming down upon you with everything they have. Because you're sui jurist now down on the shores of the Red Sea. But you don't have God standing between you as a pillar of fire because you haven't done what Christ commanded which was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, of thousands to care for one another as much as you care for yourself. Now how you do that is between you and the Holy Spirit. Because every offering you make is a free will offering and everyone you choose to give it to is a choice that you make. And they are... Answerable in their choice, not to your judgment, but to your judgment next week or tomorrow, the next hour, the next day. Because if they don't do right with it, you won't give to them anymore. You'll find somebody else to give it to. But that laying down of your life is a part of the process of revelation. That's what opens the door to revelation. Because now your life is flowing out of you for the namesake of Christ. That is coming in the name of Christ. Coming in the name of Christ is not saying Jesus a bunch of times. Or I love Jesus. That's not coming in the name. Coming is coming in the spirit of Christ. And when you follow that spirit of Christ in your day-to-day life, then the revelation of God can enter into you and you will see that which you did not see before. That all the artificial barriers of emotion will be torn down. All the man-made barriers will be torn down. Not by you. Not by your cleverness. Not by your deciding what is good and evil. But by God himself. He will put the pillar of fire there. He will part the sea for you. But you have to do If you're going to do it with your own power or might, then you don't need God, do you? Well, I can tell you, I've been there. And I can see and I have seen the power of God to make those God's many bow down. They won't want to, but they will. And you have to do nothing. As a matter of fact, the less you do, (laughs) chances are the more God can do. The less you judge others the more God can judge. That's how you bring judgment upon. That's how real Christians bring judgment upon the world. It's not by their personal judgment, but by leaving judgment to God. And then God can intervene on a day-to-day basis, moment-to-moment basis, in your life and in the lives of those who will gather with you in the character of Christ, in the spirit of Christ. That's the way you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so it isn't a matter. You want to be a party to what God said for us to do. You don't want to be a party to the world. The The same Ginsbergs who will give you your right to abortion. And supposedly give you the notion of power over your body. Will force you to have a vaccination which will sterilize eventually, maybe not the first one, but eventually, once you get into the habit of doing it like you are, will sterilize most of the world and uh, put an end to man and his dominion here. Because that's where the battle really is. It's between the dominion of the righteous children of God, (laughs) which is not most of you, and the unrighteous children that do not are not sent by heaven. <laughs> she says. I mean, that was her quote. It's certainly not heaven sent. And uh, and so that's she wants you to be ruled by that which is not heaven sent. And that is the battle. You either be ruled by God and humility and righteousness and love of that righteousness of God or you will be ruled by men or by evil. If you want out of this system... You do not get out of the system of the world one man at a time. That's not the way Moses did it. That's not the way Jesus Christ did it. And uh I guess the only other option is the way Noah did it. <laughs> and everybody who was on board that boat wasn't righteous either. But uh destruction is going to come. But right now we have choice. We have a choice to either seek the kingdom of God or the solutions that the world dangles in front of us, which is usually a dialectic of this, that, or the other thing. So anyway, I'll save most of this other stuff that I was going to share with you about why the... what You know, I'm not an advocate of Clarence Thomas or even Walter William, but at least they speak some truth. And uh, and I see kingdom tracks in some of the things they say, so I'll bring these up. I advocate Christ in Christ alone. That is the solution. But understanding Christ is your responsibility. And you can only do that in humility and faith. So living by faith is very much a part of that. But anyway, we're out of time. So until next week or until this afternoon, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.